This episode is powered by Safety FM. The Crucial Talks Podcast with your host, Mike Saddam. Hello, everyone. I'm your host, Mike Saddam, and welcome back to the Crucial Talks Podcast. For those of you that have listened for a while, you already know this, but for any new listeners, you'll see that one of the major concerns I have is workplace experience. People truly are a company's greatest asset, and people make our organizations adaptable and flexible. And people spend such a large portion of their lives at work that I truly believe a positive workplace experience helps us in so many different ways. It increases morale, helps retain employees, draws more people to the organization, ends up in better customer service, and improves safety. And today's guest has some great information for us about how we can improve the experience people have at work, how we can have a positive impact on our companies, on our organizations. Dr. Darren Martin is a leadership and management consultant and the author of A Company of Owners, Maximizing Employee Engagement. Now, Darren ran his own business for 20 years and for the last 11 years has consulted for Fortune 200 companies, organizations, and small business owners from a wide range of industries. And it's really great that we have him here because he has such a broad base of experience and knowledge that I really think it can help a lot of organizations of any size. So without further ado, let's welcome Dr. Darren Martin to the Crucial Talks podcast. Hi, Darren. How are you doing today? Mike, I'm outstanding, and I'm really looking forward to this conversation with you. Yeah, you know, I've been looking forward to it for a long time because I've been reading your book, and I'll tell everybody, a company of owners, go check it out. It's a square-shaped book. It's got a real clean cover, but what you'll see from the cover is really kind of what's in the book. It's really an easy read with a ton of value, so you can get through it quickly, but then go through it again, and there's really just a, a lot of value and a lot of information in the book in really an easy to read, clean format. So I really was excited to talk to you, not only because you presented the material in a way that people can get a lot of benefit from it, but there really is a ton of good information in it, a lot of good knowledge and a lot of good tips and information people can use. So how did you actually get to where you are today with with a book like this and with the information you can provide to people? What's this journey look like for you? So, Mike, you know, when you uh, you run your own business, first of all, you learn a whole lot about what works, what doesn't, but that doesn't work. I look back on some of those early days and a lot of mistakes that I made. And then when I transitioned from that and went into more of the uh, advisor role, was going into companies and trying to help them with their cultures, with their initiatives. After a while, as I say, you see the good, the bad, and the ugly. <laughs> so all kinds of different companies, some much more functional than others. And um, so I just decided to start writing about it, and, and the rest is uh, is history. You know, I, I started putting the ideas and the repetitive patterns that I was seeing down on paper, and that's what you're seeing in the book right in front of you. Well, so these repetitive patterns, I mean, you obviously every every company has different culture. Every organization has different people in it. But you said that you're seeing some similarity. You were seeing things that kept popping up, the good, the bad, and the ugly. So what are you seeing in the world today and the organizations you visit? What are you seeing as some of the some of the issues or some of the concerns that people out there may have about their own organization? 
So we know because this, uh, there's a Gallup poll that has been showing this consistently year after year, the average engagement at a typical company is 29%. That's the big problem to start with. So you're, you're talking about companies where only a third of the workforce is really churning and, and doing the bulk of the work. Uh, and it's the old kind of 80-20 principle. But the ironic thing is when I speak to uh, companies, C-level execs, all sorts of different companies, and I say, what do you think the typical engagement rate is? I actually hear lower than that. <laughs> they don't even get to the 29% number. They're saying 20%, 15%, I've heard as low as 2%. I'm thinking, oh my goodness, you know, what kind of company are you working in? And you know, we look at that and go, oh, well, systemically, we have a problem with the employees. But they're, you know, they're just not engaged. But anytime you've only got 20, 30% of the workforce that is actually engaged, I think it's a company culture problem. I think it's much more about what's going on with the company than that we just have, you know, terrible workers or it's those millennials kind of kind of perspective. Yeah. And it sounds like a lot of what we've talked about on this podcast before that's really about how are people seeing themselves and how do people view their roles at work? Do they see themselves as part of this strong, cohesive, trusting group? Or do they see themselves as just part of this kind of like a cog in a machine, and that really impacts how they react and how they act at work. So what are you seeing when you're talking about employees that may be disengaged? What are you seeing with regards to their perception? How are they seeing themselves in the role they play at work that's really keeping them from, from engaging, from being this, this type of employee that everybody really wants and everybody wants to have as part of their organization, what's keeping them from reaching that, that level of performance or what's holding them back? Mike, I, I think you're spot on. It really does start with identity. It starts with what people, you know, most people go to work and they see it as a J-O-B. And if you look back on, you know, like the Industrial Revolution you know, years and years before that, work work had a, a certain level of meaning to it. There was a creation involved. And then you've got with the Industrial Revolution, things like, well, Henry Ford is on record as saying, why when I ask for a pair of hands, do I get a brain? Okay. So what kind of worker was Ford looking for? He was looking for someone who was going to stand there and drill the hole where he told them to drill it. And, you know, not, not come up with their own stuff. Well, you know, as well as I do, that is, <laughs> that's not very exciting work. And so we, we really sucked the meaning out of work in a lot of ways for people uh, with command and control. I mean, there's a, just a myriad of, of uh, reasons that that's the case. And when people don't have meaning at work, then they go on autopilot. And when they go on autopilot, when they don't think, you know, they're really serving a purpose there, now they're just doing it to get a paycheck and they end up being what I call zombie employees. You know, and there's a lot of zombies walking the hallways of, of uh, most companies today. Well, and it really sounds very similar. I mean, we've talked about Henry Ford on this podcast before. And in fact, we talked about Henry Ford and his relationship with the really the, the father of scientific management, Frederick Wendell Taylor, right? So, and scientific management and how people were viewed as, as really kind of part of just the factory where if they weren't doing right, you just moved them or you replaced right. them just like a part. 
And it really sounds like what you're saying is this kind of made it into the fabric of work culture kind of as we know it today, but we're not in a work culture. We're not in a system nowadays where we just want people to put tab A into slot B, right? It sounds like what you're doing is you're trying to help organizations, help companies, help CEOs, help workers, help employees. You're trying to help them see that there's a better way to do business, to gain employee engagement based on these these now really more complex systems that workers are a part of. It sounds like that's what you're trying to do. That's kind of like what your, I guess what your mission might be. Well, absolutely, because it is the largest silent tax on every company, the amount of money and production and performance they're leaving on the table by having a disengaged workforce. In fact, I think if it showed up on the balance sheet, the CEO would just completely shut down the company and say, we're not moving another inch until we get this right because it's that big a deal. But, you know, what you were saying with uh, from the whole identity standpoint, there's some, there's some great stories, out of, you know, the, uh, apocryphal in this case, I'm sure, but two guys carrying rocks down the, down the street and one of them is sweating and, you know, just frustrated. And you say, what are you doing? And he said, I'm carrying this heavy rock to this construction site. Yes, the other one, he's whistling and he's just, he's also sweaty, but he's just loving it. So what are you doing? And he says, I'm building a cathedral, right? So, and I, I did hear about a study where they asked the uh, roller coaster worker at, at um, Six Flags, what are you doing? He's like, well, I'm running the roller coaster. When they asked him at Disney, the person at Disney said, I'm helping families create experiences that they will remember for a lifetime. Now, who do you think was more energized and engaged going to work? It was the one who had a, a, a it, who the company had infused in them the importance of the work that, that they were doing in such a profound way that it really just brought joy to something as mundane as running a roller coaster. Well, and I think you bring up a really interesting topic here because you've talked about two people holding rocks, one's sweating, one's disengaged, one just wants to get through it. The other one is happy about it, engaged with it, trying to do the best job they can because of what the actual outcome is, what the, what the end goal happens to be. And the same thing with the, with the roller coaster operator. So what it sounds like you're telling me is that perception really seems to be something that is important to human beings because how we see things, the lens we wear, how we're viewing a situation or a scenario or the environment really impacts how we behave. This goes back all the way. I was just reading uh, Marcus Aurelius today, the you know, great Roman emperor, and he was saying something very much to that effect. I'll have to see if I can find this quote. Oh, um, uh, well, I'll find it. I'll find it, but it, you know, this, this it has been a part of the human condition for a long time. And we know it now in more scientific terms. It's tied to what's called the reticular activation system. And it basically just boils down to this. What you look for is what you see. If I decide the world is a bad, horrible place full of uh, distrusting people, guess what kind of people I'm going to see on a regular basis, Right. Uh, if I decide the world is a beautiful, you know, spontaneous, creative, you know, joyful place, then it's a different experience. And so, the, you know, I know uh, I, I love your emphasis on stories because 
it really is about the stories we tell ourselves about going to work. You get up every, somebody gets up every morning and goes, Oh geez, it's Monday. I got to go into work. And most people do that. They drag themselves in. Then they have, you know, a story that is not going to bring a lot of meaning into work, but here's the problem. The company is also telling them the same story in very subtle ways. Hey, do what I told you, you know, uh, I'll give you feedback when we get to the annual performance review if we have time. So it's this collusion of the company just not really uh, cre- creating beautiful stories that people are excited about. And then the people themselves, uh, you know, just exacerbating that by just retelling the same story to themselves. Well, and these stories really are a major part of human behavior, and it really is something that I think people need to understand and something that I think a lot of people get value out of what you say in your in your keynotes and what you do for a living because those stories really are super powerful. And I've said this before that human beings are social storytellers. I mean, we are social animals. We're social creatures. But the interesting thing about human beings, even though everybody knows we're social, the interesting thing about human beings is we're the only social creature on the planet that can fabricate reality with each other, that construct reality with each other. And that goes back to the stories you just told us about two people in very similar situations, seeing the situation in completely different ways. And that story they're telling themselves about what they're doing impacts how they behave. So how do stories actually affect us? And how are you seeing these stories affecting people in the workplace? I mean, what kind of employees are we seeing in workplaces that are telling themselves these kind of different stories? And and what kind of employees do we get in organizations, depending upon the stories they're telling themselves in, in that workplace? So let me take an example. You think about a, a typical call center. Call centers are notorious for being sweatshop type jobs. Um, you know, it's it's just a churn and burn, and you know you're on the clock and everything. Where they were told you don't you don't take breaks, you don't go to the bathroom. You know, you, it's, it was all on this very tight schedule. So contrast that with Zappos who had people lined up around the block to get a job in their call center, making 12 bucks an hour, doing the same job, right? But there was something about what Tony Shi created at Zappos that made it so inviting and powerful. And a lot of it was giving them a bigger vision for what they were doing. And then instead of trying to, to you know, just beat them down, he empowered them. He said, look, you need to be on the phone as long as you need to on that call. We're taking care of our customer. I think the record at one point, some an hour phone call with one customer. And, you know, uh, at, at the end of the time, the, the whole staff applauded. Like, wow, that was, that was epic, you know. But there was something about the environment. There is something about the environment there where people really want to be a part of it. It's not about the work being done. It's about the environment, the culture, the air that people breathe when they get there, and kind of how they're being supported in a much more positive story. Well, and it really reminds me of of Maslow's hierarchy of needs. And the reason I use mm. the hierarchy of needs so much is because if you if you look at that triangle and you look at what's at the top with self-actualization and self-esteem and love and belonging, and then what's at the bottom, which is really 
safety and physical needs, a lot of companies tend to focus on those bottom rungs. You get a paycheck, you get health insurance, you might get a little bit of retirement, maybe not even nowadays. Uh, really, they just give you those basic bottom rungs. And it really goes back to what you said earlier about people being disengaged. Well, they're disengaged because they're only getting that paycheck and they're only at the bottom parts of that hierarchy of needs. But what it sounds like you're telling me is that some of the information you give and some of the work you've done with organizations that do a good job with employee engagement, they're not focused on the bottom part. They're focused on the top. They're focused on how to give people social esteem and how to make them feel like they're part of something bigger than themselves. Is that kind of what you're seeing in these organizations that are doing a good job? Absolutely. Because people will go to not the extra mile. They'll go the extra hundred miles when it's something they believe in. And, you know, uh, Dan Pink does a great job in his book, Drive, talking about what's better, the carrot or the stick. And then he said, really, it's not about the carrot or the stick. There's a third thing, which is tapping into the fact that people already want to perform. They want to do a great job. They want to, they want to have a, a, a phenomenal experience. It's not about, you know, enticing them or beating them into it. It's really about tapping into to what's human nature in the first place. Uh, and I, I think you've nailed it completely that most companies are focused on, hey, well, we give you a paycheck. You know, what are you complaining about? And they are completely leaving the top half of that pyramid off. It's, it's funny you're talking about that because I'm right in the middle of listening to uh, Drive by Chip Conley, which is 100% about Maslow's hierarchy of needs and how it applies to, uh, to what we're talking about. And when companies focus on that, that upper part, you know, the self-actualization and significance and all those things, all of a sudden what they find is that now people are bringing their whole self to work and they perform at a much different level. Well, and what I've also found interesting about the whole discussion about Maslow's hierarchy is the fact that even later in his work, if I remember correctly, he even added something extra that he said that, that there was this, this pyramid, this hierarchy. And when people reached that, it wasn't really the pinnacle, but what really, uh, what he really talked about was the fact that you can go beyond that kind of individual hierarchy of needs. And beyond that was transcendence, which is really acting on behalf of others. And that's where I think a lot of the work you're doing is, is headed is the fact that when you get people in the in the social motivation arena of Maslow's hierarchy, beyond that is now a level of transcendence that they've gone beyond themselves and are now a strong member of this group that we call organizations and companies. And they're taking action, not for themselves, but really for the betterment of the company and for other people they see as their fellow tribes persons in that company. Yeah, I, 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 I always say if companies acted a lot more like, uh, and, and just hear me out on this, but, you know, fraternities, sororities, uh, the Masons, the Marines. I mean, if you look at, you know, organizations, skull and bones society, you know, things that have been uh, secret societies, things that have been around for generations and that have such an affiliation to them. That when a person from that tribe meets another person from that tribe, it's like, what do you need? I'll do whatever. We, you know, we are a, 
brotherhood, a sisterhood. We are a, you know, a, a family here. And, you know, companies just miss that. They don't create that sense of strong affiliation. It is kind of an every person for themselves. But I agree. I, I think that's the transcendence. And what we're starting to find, ironically, is that science is even backing that up. When you get into, you know, uh, just the whole energy field that's going beyond theory, but the fact that we really are interconnected. It is a system. It is a it is a very elaborate, you know, connected system. And to just carve out one person from that and expect that they're going to operate, you know, well in that kind of vacuum, you're you're missing the point of what it looks like to get, you know, the 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 whole that is greater than the sum of its part parts starting to carry its own meaning uh, that is fulfilling both to the whole and the individual. Well, and that's why I love some of the things you you talk about. Like I've seen some of your your keynote presentations, and I love the example you give of, and you mentioned it earlier of the zombie employee. And when I watched one of your keynotes, I mean, you actually acted out. Hey, what does a zombie do? Hey, when they come up along, I think you use a chain link fence or a wall or something like that. What do yeah. they do? Well, they yeah. keep they keep banging into it, right? And they don't figure out a way around it. But what makes human-based systems, families, communities, religions, and workplaces, what makes them so powerful and so valuable is really the flexibility and adaptability of the human being, not the zombie. So now, if we're, if we're looking at the zombie as kind of like a caricature of a disengaged employee, what is the caricature that, that you give or that you could talk to us about of this new prototype of how we can see a worker, how can we how can we see employees, or should we even consider them employees to move our companies in this this more bright future, this better direction? How should we be viewing the people that work within our organizations? Uh, and I love what you just said because I've got uh, a whole blog. And uh, it's actually going to be in my follow-up book and some other things that we have, we have, it is imperative that we change our language around work because we do talk about employees and we wonder why they don't act like owners. We talk about them as, you know, you work for me. Oh, well, why aren't you having the same attributes and attitudes that, you know, I have? And then we talk about up and down the chain and we talk about bosses and all of these hierarchical structures that are, you know, existed for a time out of necessity. But in today's, you know, digital world where information is wide open and it's just a completely different structure, uh, a lot of that terminology really, really has to go away. And, you know, the metaphor I use for talking about this new worker is us, uh, an, an owner someone who acts like owners. And I always tell companies, if you want them to act like owners, you have to treat them like owners. Uh, how do you treat people that, that, you know, are owners, you, that they have a certain built in, um, you know, decision-making process so forth. I remember, I think the number's bigger now, but the Ritz Carlton used to give every one of their uh, people on the floor, $2,500 a discretionary budget to fix any problem for a customer. I know some people in some, you know, senior level positions that can't spend $2,500 without getting some kind of approval, you know? So it really is about hiring people that you believe, you know, belong there and then 
treating them accordingly so that they've got a lot of run room. Uh, you know, companies like Netflix do this with their zero vacation policy. We're not going to tell you when you can go on vacation. Uh, there's just a lot of ways to build that structure in and watch the performance just really blossom. Well, so it sounds like what you're saying is that engagement really is related to a level of empowerment. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. So I've done a lot of work in in many different industries because I'm working on the people side. So the one thing every business has in common is people, right? And and a lot of what uh, drives them is, is, is very similar across industries. But I, I did a lot of work at uh, uh, for some oil and gas companies at, out at the refineries. And when there were uh, when there were union workers, there was a lot of moaning from management of you know you just can't motivate them. They're just not motivated. They're just you know union workers. That is sheer utter nonsense. Uh, first of all, Southwest Airlines, big chunk of their company are union workers, and we know how engaged traditionally Southwest has been. But the other thing I say is watch them when they walk out the gate. They are so, they're on the phone, they're organizing the bowling league, uh, they're staying up late night build, building a race car, you know, they're, they're going and getting out and they're deer blind at three in the morning to, you know, try to be there for opening day. I mean, they're motivated, they're just not motivated at work. And people are naturally motivated when they see something that's that's intriguing and interesting. And that's what I think gets missed a lot. Well, and that's why I wanted to ask you about this notion of empowerment and people that are listening that want to create this. I mean, there could be, you've worked with a lot of big companies. You've also worked with small companies. But when you're trying to empower employees, if we – and I think everybody understands the – the nature of it and the notion of engagement and how it's related to empowerment, but culture is tough, right? There's a a lot of momentum that builds up with existing cultures. And now we want to introduce empowerment or, or any other positive strength-based approach to human behavior, but let's focus on empowerment. If we want to do that, we've got to try to change culture how, what are some tips? How are, how are we going to do it? What are some things we can do to start shifting that momentum to one where employees feel empowered? What are some techniques that, that organizations can use? Well, so I, you certainly don't do it the way I heard they did it at one company where they got up in front of a very large bureaucratic, you know, tedious system and said, hey, guess what? You're now all empowered. Go be empowered, right? That's like, that's like when the Soviet Union goes from communism uh, to, to more of a free market economy. You know, if you've been under communism for 70 years, someone can't just tell you, oh, now you're free to go make money, right? Because it's not wired into your system. So fortunately, it's it. You know, we're not talking about that, particularly in this country. We do know we have people at companies who know how to have a more entrepreneurial spirit and take take charge of their things. And I think it it you know if it's if it's really low at a company, first you got to make a decision that we are making a dramatic change, and we are going to say it in a very clear fashion. Here is how we've operated in the past, and here are the things that we have done, and this is the way that has impacted us. We know it's painful to work here for these reasons. We are making a conscious decision to make this a much more meaningful place to work, 
And that starts today. And here's what that's going to look like. You know, whereas before we're keeping time clocks to see when you're coming and going. Hey, you're, you're, you're adults, you're grown people. We're going to expect you to monitor yourself um, and, and take care of those things. And just to start to break down some of that structure. Uh, when Gerstner went to IBM, he did it in a number of ways. One was uh, he had, he, you know, abandoned the IBM dress code where everybody looked the same, walked the same, marched around the office like little penguins, you know. Uh, when Alan Mulally went to Ford, he had to break that CYA culture where anybody was afraid of saying they had any kind of a problem because they were at risk of, of losing their jobs if they brought bad news. And it took him some time to really gain the trust. Uh, and it was the epic story about, you know, the, the, they had a lighting system on projects, whether it was red, green, and, or yellow. And every project was always green. And I remember the story of Malali. Uh, I got to be with him in New York at a, at a conference. He's a phenomenal guy. But he tells the story of uh, the first meeting. He saw, sees the board. It's all lit up green. And he said, we have a 17, I think, I think he said, we're coming off a $17 billion shortfall. Are we sure? <laughs> you know, are we positive? But over time gaining trust, the first person that ventured out there and, and changed theirs to red and everybody told him, you're crazy. And then he got rewarded for it. And they started saying, Hey, okay, maybe this is serious business. It's those kinds of, you know, large demonstrable shifts to say, we're not going to operate this way anymore. We're going to start doing something different. Then you got to put your money where your mouth is. Well, so it sounds like what you're saying is there has to be a level of self-awareness. And I don't mean just self-awareness at the individual level, but also a self-awareness related to the organization as a whole. And then I also hear you mention trust a couple of times. So it sounds like you the company has to really understand where they're at has to understand where they want to go and has to realize that trust is a big part of making any of these types of changes. So the, I always say the bigger the gap between the stated culture and the uh, actual culture, the hidden culture, the bigger the gap between who we say we are, what we say we do and what we actually do, the more dysfunctional the company. And I can't tell you, Mike, how many, how many times I've been in a company where they say, oh, man, we, we, we're awesome. we got a great culture. And then you get out and start talking to people, as I say, closest to the valve, right? The people that are doing the work. And they paint a very different picture. So I do like, I, I, I think that is step one. you got to get honest with yourself, with your organization. The only way you're going to know that is get out and have some really frank conversations with people. But it does. There's a there's an old Chinese proverb. I, I do know the other the biblical versions proverb, but the Chinese proverb says the beginning of wisdom is calling things by the right name, and I think it starts there. Well, I, I really love what you're saying here because a lot of the people that listen to this podcast, and we have a pretty broad audience, but a lot of the people that listen to this are actually safety professionals. And what you will hear in kind of the new view of, of safety, of what people are in this safety profession are looking at, is very similar to what you just said. Because what you said was the bigger the gap, the more dysfunctional. And what you're talking about is a gap between in your words, stated culture and actual culture or what people believe the company is doing versus what the workers know is actually going on. And in safety, we, we talk a lot about the same things, which is 
work as imagined versus work is actually completed. And I love what you said because you basically said that the people doing the work can paint a different picture. And it goes back to this notion of, of like your book, a company of owners where you're trying to maximize employee engagement. And for people out there, that means the workers, the people in the front line, the people that feel the decisions of executives and managers in the organization first are the people that are really doing the work, the people at the pointy end of the stick. So it really sounds like we need to realize what the workers see as their company because that's going to give us a, a really good indication of what our culture, what our company is all about. Okay, Mike, I know we talked about how long the podcast is, but I'm sorry, I'm canceling my flight and everything. <laughs> We're going to have to go for another three hours because you're getting a really – Odd topic with me and a, and a real uh, uh, pain point because I, you know I I have worked unfortunately in some very inherently unsafe environments and you can put up as many posters as you want talking about be safe but it, the, you know in some cases I just found that there wasn't the will on the part of the company to actually make a place safe. And some of it is because they're removed, you know, they're, they're, they're sitting off in a different building and not seeing what workers are facing. But I heard a lot of arguments against, uh, you know, I remember being out and hearing from some, some people on, a, on a, a piece of equipment, very large piece of equipment, and they had an elevator to get the tools up and down and the elevator had been broken for, you know, six months. That means in the dead of winter, when you've got ice, on the metal stairs, they were climbing six, seven flights of stairs. And, and in some case, the, the perspective of management was just like, well, come on, man. They, you know, why are they complaining about that? Well, that's, that's, that's a safety risk, right? That's, a, that's just not being smart. Uh, and then I've, I've seen much more even egregious at places. So Dimming, dimming uh, you know, Edwards Dimming was big on this about, not just telling people to be safe, but actually making the, the, the place safe. Um, because, you know, it's not safety, as you know, it's not just a mindset. It's, it's a reality. Yeah, and I really, and that's why I really love what you're doing is because you recognize that when people bring something up, and we can talk safety or we can talk communication or we can talk customer service, we can talk about any of these things. But the the deal the really at the at the core of it is the fact that if a worker if an employee brings up something like hey we need this elevator work or we need this piece of equipment to work right or we need this ability to contact our customers or our customers are stuck in a queue for an hour and 30 minutes and we might be able to reduce that to 5 minutes by doing this particular thing Really what that comes down to is the fact that workers aren't bringing up issues to cause problems for the managers or for the decision makers. Engaged workers bring these things up for the betterment of the system, the betterment of the company. And by saying that, I really want to kind of wrap up this podcast, even though we could go for three or more hours. I really, <laughs> but, but, but I really want to wrap up this podcast with something you put in your book. Now, this is uh, another Chinese proverb, and you wrote, Tell me and I will forget, show me and I re may remember, involve me and I will understand. And it goes back to your notion or the advice you give that great company cultures 
have collaboration built into them. So when we're talking about collaboration, what kind of mindset does the does the employee have to have? Does the line worker have to have? And what kind of mindset does the supervisor or the manager or the executive have to have to have kind of this collaborative environment, whether we're talking about leadership or communication or safety or customer service or sales, you name it, how do we change mindsets or what mindsets do we have to have to be collaborative? So it, uh, and I'm going to, I'm going to give a positive Henry Ford quote here, but he said, if there's anyone's secret to success, it lies in the ability to know the other person's story as well as you know, your own. Okay. And I think that what, what you're describing, the listening, the non-defensive knee jerk, you know, that's not true. That's not really going on because they are, when, when I talk to, uh, uh, people that are out, you know, doing the work, as I say, they, they're complaining about the right things. Someone complaining about a piece of equipment not working or a slow load time on something or, a you know, an inept bureaucratic sort of process that just make, makes being uh, effective uh, next to impossible. Those are the kind of things you want to hear about from your people. And I think the, 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 what I call the limitless leader, but the leader that is really just on it, uh, thrives on that kind of information. What do you need? How do I help? What's going on? What's making your job difficult? And we certainly know that in a, in a Japanese Kaizen system, there is no thing that is too small. You know, we tend to think about bigger things, but you know, if the, if the E key doesn't work on your keyboard, it's going to make your life miserable. And it's such a simple thing. So uh, I, I think you're right just in terms of that there has to be that collaboration uh, so that, that the, the body organization, the enterprise really is connected in a, in a powerful way. And the left hand not only knows what the right hand's doing, but actually cares about what it's doing. Well, yeah. And I think that's a great point you make that not only do they need to know but they need to care. And I think that caring part is so huge because we're talking about people and people, they not only need to feel social esteem, but if they feel they're part of a group that cares for them, that they can trust, now they're not so much worried about watching their own back, but they feel like they're part of a team that's out there looking at threats and opportunities and all these things in their environment that they could actually take proactive action and positive action because they have people really standing shoulder to shoulder with them that they don't have to worry about because there is that level of caring, because there's empathy and because there's trust. And I think that's just a really great kind of way to leave off on this episode, a positive way to think about changing employees from employees to a company of owners, which is really the title of your book, A Company of Owners, Maximizing Employee Engagement. Now, we know we have this book that we can go access as kind of beautifully done book that's easy to read, that fits in really nicely in a briefcase, that sort of thing. But what else do you offer? What kind of services do you offer? I talked a little bit about your speaking. And where do people find out more about you? Where can they go to contact you, to, to get more information from you, to see more about you, your blog, that sort of thing? Where can they go to contact you and get that information? 
So there's a lot uh, of, of what you're describing on our website, darrenmartin.com. They've got to spell Darren right with one R and an E. I say right. That's the way my parents spelled it. D-A-R-E-N Martin. Um, all my books are available on Amazon. We've also got a, uh, a podcast ourselves. So I really value and appreciate the work you're doing. It's called uh, Company Culture with Darren Martin. And then I've got some things brewing that I can't talk about yet, but that I uh, are really going to be on a global scale. And I'm going to want you to, to have some involvement with that, Mike, when we get there. But one of the best ways I've found to stay connected and really create more of a conversation is LinkedIn. So add me on LinkedIn. I, I'd love to hear from as many of your listeners. I mean, you know, we already know certain things about the people listening to your show. They, they are passionate about this stuff. They care about this stuff. And I, I like connecting with people who are really trying to help drive what I call uh, the evolution because work is shifting into what I believe is going to be a much more beautiful experience and it's going to take some work to get there. So we might as well collaborate and do it together. So I, I hope people will come find some of, some of what I'm doing and the resources, but also share with me uh, uh, what, what they've got going. Well, definitely, because I think you'll find that most of the people listening to this are are really interested in either leadership, communication, safety, something that has to do with people. And they're looking at it from that lens you just talked about. They're looking at it through the lens of how do we make the workplace experience more positive? How do we make the workplace experience something people actually want to be a part of? So this has been just a great conversation with Darren Martin about what he's doing, about culture, about people, about how to change thought processes and mindsets into something where employees can feel engaged. So when you get a chance, check out his book, A Company of Owners. Check out his website, darrenmartin.com. It's D-A-R-E-N martin.com. There is a link to his website in the show notes. Feel free to check it out. There's also a link to where you can find his book on Amazon. So check that out too. And if you have a chance, please visit me at the Crucial Talks website at crucialtalks.com and connect with me via email, LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, whatever works for you. Because if you need anything from me, I'd love to hear from you. Also, if you can do me a quick favor, there's a ton of these great conversations just like we had with Darren. So please, if you could review the podcast, rate it and share it and subscribe to it, I'd really appreciate it. Have a great week. And remember, if we want to understand behavior, we need to understand what drives people. Please review, share and subscribe to the Crucial Talks podcast. Visit CrucialTalks.com.